For our Peace Bucket, we're joined by uh, Lynn Jackson, um, who, among other groups, is with the Coalition for Civil Freedoms. And and recently, half a dozen people from the Capital District took a, a visit to see Yasin Aref uh, in uh, Iraqi uh, Kurdistan. Uh, Aref, along with Mohammed Hussein, was part of the infamous, uh, I don't know what you call it, the Pizza Gate sting by the uh, FBI. Um, back in August 2004, uh, Yassin Aref was a well-respected, well-known imam. It ended up, unfortunately, um, being sentenced to 15 years in, in federal prison and then uh, deported. So, so Lynn, you know, why did you go to, to Kurdistan? And what exactly is, is Kurdistan? It's sort of part of Iraq in the north, but part of a more autonomous region? Um, yeah, so uh, Kurdistan is northern Iraq, um, which is mostly occupied by Kurds. The Kurds are probably the largest ethnic group that do not have their own country. And there are Kurds who live in um, Iraq, they live in Syria, Turkey, um, and Iran. Uh, but this part of uh, northern Iraq is called Kurdistan. And though even though it's part of Iraq, it still has its own government. It's called an autonomous region. When we went, we got, we were able to get visas just to visit Kurdistan and we didn't have to deal with Iraqi visas. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, where Kurdistan is, but it's Northern Iraq. I understand it's a very uh, fairly mountainous uh, region, but now you were very uh, active uh, with the uh, Yassin Aref and, and Hossein uh, trial. Um, and some people may have been following, of course, that the so-called informant who, you know, had been caught doing uh, his own illegal activities uh, was also the owner of the uh, Skahari limousine uh, company that's still being. But why did you go see Yassin in uh, Kurdistan after all these years? Well, Yassin was in prison for 15 years in, um, in the United States. He spent some of his time in the infamous communication management units. And as an activist, I did a lot of what I could to help uh, support him and his family uh, here in Albany. The reason I went to visit is that I had never seen Yassin free. I was only able, all those years, 15 years of him being in prison, I was only able to visit him once when he was in um, ICE detention at the very end of his um when after his sentence was finished before they released him. Uh, and so I wanted to see Yassin free. I wanted to see Yassin in his own country. And, and speaking about being in his own country, uh, you know, what was the reaction of his, his neighbors in the community? You know, here's a gentleman, American, sent him to 15 years in prison, allegedly for helping to be money laundering and a, you know, trumped up uh, terrorist operation. See a respected member of his community? Oh, my goodness, yes. So seeing Yassin in Kurdistan was a really incredible experience. Now, he's part of, he can trace his lineage back. His grandfather was a famous imam. His family lived in a small village called Hashazini. And he's part of a larger group. We met many, many relatives of Yassin. We met his brothers. We met his cousins. We met. Um, his nieces, his nephews, all kinds of people. And it's this, it, it's a, it's a very different kind of way 
in Kurdistan that family is very important. And to see Yassin in his family, with his family, was a really powerful statement. And his family, so in some of the conversations we had, certain family members would ask us, well, like, was this a mistake? The government make a mistake? You know, like what, you know, this, why did America, you know, target Yassin? And of course, those questions were a little difficult to answer because clearly the FBI targeted Yassin. And nobody that we met could believe that Yassin had done anything wrong. They knew him, they'd known him since he was a child and they, uh, they'd known him all his life and they couldn't imagine that he did anything wrong. And it was really wonderful to see. And I think also that people were, in some ways it was embarrassing that people were so appreciative that um, the six of us who'd been supporters of Yassin here in Albany went, traveled all the way to Kurdistan to go visit him. And I always remember, you know, in sort of his first court appearance, you know, the FBI said, oh, we found his name in a book of somebody who they were, tra- uh, you know, tracking. And he was listed as commandant, you know, head of militia. And somebody else pointed out, well, actually, that word in our language means brother. And it's, a, you know, sort of a signal of respect. But who who else went on the uh, trip with you? And, and who were some of the people you met during the trip? Um, so we went with um, Steve Downs, one of Yassine's attorneys, Kathy Manley, another one of Yassine's attorneys, Kathy Manley's daughter, Diana uh, Manley, and then the journalist Carl Strock, who wrote extensively about Yassine for the Daily Gazette, and his wife, Pearl. We met a lot of people. We met many, many members of Yassine's family, and we met some of his friends. One of his friends is a general. We met the general. We also met uh, the chief of a one of the tribes in Chamchamal, which Chamchamal is the city Yassin lives in now. And we met a very prominent leader for one of the tribes there. Um, and then we were quite pleased to meet the governor of Sulemania, which is uh, a, the big city that we stayed in when we were in Kurdistan. Sulemania has about 750,000 people. We were just pleased to be able to meet the governor. It was really an incredible experience. And what did you talk to the uh, governor about? And, and what were some of the, you know, the broader political discussions about, like, you know, how do they, you know, relate to America and, you know, how we relate to the Middle East? Um, so one of the things the governor said that really struck me was that he talked about Kurdistan as being an island. And instead of being surrounded by water, they're surrounded by fire because all around Kurdistan, there is a lot of unrest. And that was really interesting to me. They have to remember that the Kurds really like the Americans. The Kurds love the Americans. And when Americans just lump everybody in the Middle East together, that's not right. There's many different people and politics and all this kind of stuff in the Middle East, just like there is here in the US. And that people are different and the Kurds really like America. The governor also said to us that he hoped that America looked at Kurdistan as being a partner with America and um, as equals, which I thought was very significant. The other thing the governor was concerned about is climate change. And he talked about planting trees. I wish we'd had more time to talk about the environment, but, um, but we were not able to. But He clearly cares deeply about the environment. With all of this, the one thing that 
really struck me about going to Kurdistan, understanding the Kurds, because unfortunately, the Kurds have suffered many genocides, like horrific genocides. There's Halabja, there's Anfal, and these happened in 1988. They're, they're horrific. And we went to museums that described these incidents. When you understand what the Kurds have been through and how they've been persecuted, because the governor also said that the Kurds are the only people have never occupied another land. They have never been occupiers. They've, you know, they have their own land. That's it. They're, they've never been occupiers. And when you look at the history of the Kurds, about the genocides, about the struggles that the Kurds have today, and then you look at the FBI's supposed plot that Yassin was supposed to be involved with, which involved like some group in India, it makes no sense at all. And I came back with this sense that, you know, that the FBI didn't understand the Kurds, had no idea who Kurds were. And and the fact that they went after Yassin Araf, this gentle, wonderful man who had you know, a family, is just appalling to me. And I came back angrier about what the FBI did to Yassin Araf than, I, than when I went to Kurdistan, which I didn't really think was possible because I was pretty angry when I went. So, so let me just jump in here and say we've been talking with uh, Lynn Jackson, Coalition for Civil Freedoms, about her visit to Yassin Araf in Iraqi Kurdistan. And this is Mark Dunley for the uh, Hudson Mohawk magazine. So what what is uh, Yassin's life now that he's back in Kurdistan? So Yassin lives with his his wife. It was wonderful to see his wife again. His children are all now American citizens, and they travel. They go back to visit Yassin, but his children pretty much live here. So here he is, a man who lost 15 years of his life to prison for nothing, yet he seems pretty happy. He lives in a nice house in Chamchama with his wife. Um, he has a job and he's still writing books. He's written quite a number of books. One of them is, and he's working with a, a group called, um, I think I got the name right, Agora Voice, where they have um, made Son of Mountains, the book that Yassin wrote uh, after his conviction. Uh, they've made Son of Mountains into an audio book. And Yassin wrote a two-volume book in Kurdish about his experience in the U.S. prison system. And, of course, all of us in Albany would very much like to read the book. Unfortunately, it's in Kurdish. So we're hoping that Agora Voice, maybe with the help of others, can have this book translated so that we can we can read it, because I think it's going to be a very powerful a very powerful book. Yassin often goes uh, walking in the mountains. He goes hiking mm -hmm. and he produces, uh, he has a Facebook page. He produces many videos on Facebook. And overall, despite his horrific experience in the U.S. prison system, because he never should have been there, he seems pretty, pretty happy. It was absolutely wonderful to see him. It, I cannot express the hospitality we received from Yassine and his family was overwhelming. It was beyond anything I have ever experienced in my life to be um, so welcomed and taken care of. Uh, it was it was just wonderful. Uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I met so many wonderful people. Uh, I'm really into waterfalls. 
And so I saw you visit uh, a waterfall there, but uh, it seemed like not quite as robust as the waterfalls that we see here in, uh, say, northeastern uh, United States. Yes, the waterfall visit was was uh, wonderful. It was beautiful. My understanding is the water comes from really far away through, they don't really know exactly why it comes out of the mountain. But unlike waterfalls here where there's not, you know, you look at the waterfall, but there's not a lot of, uh, you know, buildings or construction near waterfalls here. But in Kurdistan, they're so unusual that the uh, entire walkway, there was, it was a very nice walkway to, to walk up to the waterfall was lined with shops. It was very interesting to me because it was the winter time. There was no one there but us. So there was, we had lots of room and everything. But my understanding is that in the summertime, it's pretty packed with people. The mountains, unfortunately, there has been significant climate change in Kurdistan. And we went to the top of one mountain, uh, Dukan, uh, in Dukan, Kurdistan. There was no snow. There's virtually no snow at all. And Yassin said that back in the day, you wouldn't be able to drive up to the mountain because there'd be four feet of snow on the mountain. And this is really quite alarming that there is much less snow in uh, Kurdistan than there used to be. Because it was the wintertime, things were sort of brown, like California, you know, kind of uh, uh, brownish. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of green. My understanding that in the springtime, it's, uh, everything is green for a couple months. And then, and then you have the heat of the summer, but it doesn't quite look like here in the Northeast where, you know, if it weren't for the temperature, we basically live in a rainforest. I mean, you just, you, if you don't do anything with a piece of land, things grow. But in Kurdistan, it was much more barren of vegetation, but it was beautiful. The mountains were absolutely spectacular, just, just beautiful. And the, the views were amazing. So, so sort of the ending question, and you can take it where you want, uh, but you mentioned, um, you know, that your, I guess, anger about the treatment of uh, uh, Yassin and uh, Mohammed Hussein has increased. You know, what, what, what type of lesson or inspiration, you know, do you take back from this trip? Where do you go from here? Well, I think that the thing that I really would like to see happen is that more that more people become aware of Yassin's case because it was so grossly unfair. We shouldn't be doing this. One way people can learn more about it is there's a movie that was just made about Yassin, which also includes some um, some scenes from Kurdistan because the movie maker went to interview Yassin in Kurdistan. And that's called Witness. And that's available, I think, on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's an excellent movie. Um, the other thing that I hope happens is that more people will listen to the audiobook on Agora Voice, uh, Son of Mountains, or people will read Yassin's book, because I think it's really important to understand that, um, you know, what the government did, because the more I was in Kurdistan and I learned about, you know, the politics and about the history and about the culture, I realized that the FBI, when they did this sting operation on this, on Yassin, they had no idea about Kurdish culture or Kurdish history at all. They had, the FBI had no idea. And they concocted this crazy plot about some Pakistani ambassador or something. It was crazy plot. And it just, it just really bothers me. You know, I'd also like 
you know, I also came back inspired to maybe learn a little Kurdish because um, most of the people I met, unfortunately, uh, I can't speak any Kurdish and they didn't know much English, though their English was usually better than, certainly better than anything I could say in Kurdish. And to really understand more about the people. And the other thing is that we need to become aware of the genocides that happen against the Kurds, because a lot of people don't know about these. So the, the genocide in Halabja was when uh, Saddam's army uh, dropped gas on the city of Halabja and 5,000 people died. It was in one day, it was a horrific attack. And then a month or so later, uh, Saddam started with a systematic, an eight part systematic extermination of all of the villages in Kurdistan, all of the villages. And basically, Saddam killed all the villagers and destroyed all the villages. And that killed about 182,000 Kurds. And all of these things happened in 1988 within my lifetime. And this is not a long time ago. We saw um, several museums devoted to these various genocides. Um, but the world just doesn't know about this. And the we need to understand that these kinds of things happened and we need to take, you know, steps so this never happens again. It was very, that part of seeing the museums and learning about the genocides was very sobering to me because it's a, it's something that we as Americans really just don't know much about. And it's horrific what Saddam Hussein did to the Kurds is unforgivable. And it was, it was just horrific. And, and so, Lynn, you, you you mentioned the movie Witness, but if people want more information, um, Coalition of Civil Freedoms, any any suggestions, websites? Um, Witness, uh, I don't have the uh, website off the top of my head. There is a trailer on the Internet um, uh, for Witness. And then um, Agora, Agora Vision is, uh, they have... Their website's in English also. If you look up Agora Vision, uh, you can find out, uh, you can see, you, you can buy Yassine's book and uh, audio format, which I would highly recommend. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Lynn Jackson, Coalition for Civil Freedoms. And this has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine.